Hi, and welcome to Night Clerk Radio. This is episode 33, Learning About Lo-Fi. We want to give a big shout out to our patrons for their support on patreon.com slash nightclerkradio. Our next Patreon episode is probably going to be the philosophy of aesthetics, which ties into anti-capitalist art, memes, and vaporwave. But today, we're going to be uh, going more into lo-fi. We're going to be digging the crates, so to speak, the mm-hmm. digital crates. <laughs> Walking in the path of DJ Shadow. digging. Yes, the- exactly. To uh, explore more of lo-fi hip-hop, because it is such a popular genre, and it is definitely haunted in the hauntological sense, uh, and sometimes the literal sense, you know, very, <laughs> there's some, there's spooky lo-fi music, and there's, there's multitudes within lo-fi. But yeah, we're picking uh, two different artists to look at the complexity and the layering, the, the whole range of depths of lo-fi with these two artists. So I'm quite excited. These were both really fun albums. Any initial thoughts there, Burke? Yeah, I just guess want to preface that this episode, we're not really going to get too much into like the history, philosophy, etc. of the genre itself. We covered that pretty well in the Patreon episode. So mm-hmm. if that type of stuff that we talk about interests you, then definitely head over to the Patreon, uh, Nightclerk Radio at patreon.com and learn about uh, the genre itself. I think today for me, what I really wanted to do, and we talked about this in that Patreon episode is explore this music as albums, not mm-hmm. as mixes and streams. And and like mixes and streams are great. We've recommended them before as ways to get into a genre, get a sampler, mm-hmm. figure out what you like, and then go dig deeper. And I think we're at that dig deeper stage of we listen to a bunch of streams, listen to mixes, et cetera, for that lo-fi episode. And now I just want to tackle some albums. I want to I want to hear a cohesive piece of art from a singular artist so that's that's what's most exciting to me because that's my favorite way to listen to music yeah each of these two albums there are more upbeat there are more melancholic uh, mm-hmm. tracks and each artist ha- does have a unique style i mean the the joke about the cliche about lo-fi being a very extremely formulaic genre uh you can see a lot of complexity a lot of different interpretations of what it means to be lo-fi both within each album and and between individual tracks i i thought you did an exceptional job in picking your album you as well i thought your album yeah, was thank you. pretty good too thank you <laughs> but yeah i think they'll see from these albums that that conception of lo-fi as kind of like a a one beat genre instead of one note is really just not true and i think it was mm-hmm. a very educational episode to kind of research and listen and learn about i think there's yeah. a lot to, to, to talk about mm-hmm. so why don't we uh dive into it Jinsang from his album Transitions, which is his first 
Well, his first album of the 2020 decades, his notes for the album are welcome to this decade, basically. And yeah, this is not his first album. I quite enjoyed this very jazzy, extremely 70s soul influenced. Yeah, it's this is in particular my favorite track. And, and I want to talk about that in a second. But uh, to give you a bit of background, Ginseng is actually publicly known as he's not anonymous. His real name is Benjamin Tran. He lives in California and he has been working in the lo-fi genre since 2014 and he has produced several albums solitudes is got millions of uh, listens between youtube and spotify uh, he's been frequently on many lo-fi streams if you've listened to any of those streams for any amount of time his name will pop up quite a few fans interestingly he is self-taught but he does want to in fact he doesn't want to pursue a career in music he mentioned in a recent interview that he wanted to go into audio engineering as his actual professional career. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like a related field, but we'll see. I mean, he is quite successful in the field, but given like how little you, an artist earns per stream, you know, millions of listens on Spotify does not actually account for that much uh, income. <laughs> so that could be understandable why this would be a, a side gig for him, but. This album is very hauntological in the sense that it's very nostalgic for 70s music, which is music that was before Ginseng's time, quite literally. He's too young to have grown up in the 70s, but he still is obviously very fond of the music. And I also detect a lot of uh, Nujibis in that. Uh, mm -hmm. So what were your overall impressions of the album <laughs> well like my first thought was that this is very much what i think of in a good way as like the lo-fi album or like a beat tape because it just opens uh i'm gonna say track names because uh i listened to this on <laughs> bandcamp which has a different track order than some of the youtube but just immediately on that first track which on uh bandcamp is uh, still thinking it's just like very classic here's a couple chords here's some lo-fi drums and it's just very mellow it's very chilla it's definitely has parts that are melancholic and i think into that sort of like lonely hauntedness of the past mm -hmm. i definitely agree with a lot of the jazz samples i thought this was just uh, like a really really enjoyable beat tape it was really fun to listen to yeah he actually calls these beat tapes not like lo-fi album mm -hmm. So if you go to his Bandcamp page, it says this, this, you know, this is my new beat tape. Uh, and that's what he talks about on Twitter. Uh, so I wanted to choose this album because it, well, it's not his most popular because it's his newest album. Like I mentioned, Solitude, that's his most popular album that has like 6 million views, the full album on uh, hmm. YouTube. But I wanted to see, because he started very young, actually he started, I believe I read an interview where he said he was 19 when he started working on making lo-fi music. So I wanted to see how he has progressed since then. Um, and it does have that, that lo-fi formula though. You're, you are right. It is like, it establishes a beat and sort of like there's building and sort of like, I would say tricks, but like, you know, he changes it up a bit, but like once the beat is established, that's the core of the song. I think it's fine though, because each, each song is pretty brief. The average is like two to three minutes. So it's not mm -hmm. really, no track is really overstating. It's welcome. But I got a very strong, especially the track we just listened to, maybe a very strong Samurai Shampoo, Nujibis vibe to it. Maybe, it, which is that track, is extremely strong because you, you have that sort of distorted bass line in the beginning and like then the string accompaniment and there's this kind of sense of light melancholy, 
or wistfulness mm-hmm. uh, throughout the entire track. I mean, for me, because maybe because I've just I rewatched Samurai Shampoo recently, I could almost see fireflies on a moonlit path in a Japanese forest. Like, <laughs> I think that that was my favorite track in the entire album. I think it was mine as yeah. well. So it's the mm-hmm. closing track on the Bandcamp yeah. release, and um, yeah, 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 it is also the longest track, which I think yeah also helps. Like you kind of feel like you're. I don't know, just a three and a half minute track feels so long after all these brief little beat experiments. And I think that also adds to kind of that like longing, like you're kind of stuck there in this loop for a Mm -hmm. little bit longer, but I love it. So I'm not super familiar with the Samurai Shampoo soundtrack off the top of my head. So Mm -hmm. what really stood out to me in this one is those horns, that layering, because the production Mm -hmm. on this is comparably to a lot of stuff we listen to pretty minimalist. Not in a bad way. It's um, very purposeful. Like you said, you establish mm-hmm. your beat. You have a few chords or melody that's really nice. But there's a lot of background interest that appears throughout tracks. There's like little chimes that kind of help you find your phrasing or like establish longer phrases in a long set of repeated loops. Or there's just like weird sounds like on um, Patience, the track mm-hmm. Patience. Uh, it really feels like, first of all, that like the vinyl static effect is really cranked up in that one. Like, I feel like you hear it in that track more than others. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The lo-fi-ness of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's like little laser sound effects that kind of streak through in the middle. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay. Sounds kind of yeah. cool. I don't know what it's yeah. doing there, but it's cool. This whole thing about lo-fi is that it's not really too hung up on genre conventions. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just throw in this because it'll sound cool. Not not because like, oh, we, we're, we're this type of music. We can't have this type of instrument in it. There's not none of that, you know, sort of purity, mm-hmm. I guess. And one thing is this album in particular does a lot of sampling, which our next album does not, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting. But like tracks like Ease In and Lemongrass both have sample albums from the 70s. In fact, there is, according to whosampled.com, there's one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six distinct 1970s album sampled in this beat tape. <laughs> mm, yeah, because it's really only like 30 minutes, so that's a mm-hmm. pretty hefty set of influences. There's a couple others from later, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's really saying something. And not every track is super nostalgic or like melancholy. Like, um, Showers, I thought was really interesting, so why don't we play a sample of that? It's almost to me like Jin waking up and taking a shower and like the music accompanies him actually waking up mm. because the beat, especially at the beginning, is very intrusive, but very demanding at first. Mm. And like you have these brief licks of saxophone and like the, the piano, like, yeah. So I, I, I quite like that little trick. Like every, there, there's a <laughs> lot of difference between tracks. One thing it's this is probably far into the realm of like overinterpretation. 
But mm-hmm. on this track, I really liked is that there's little there's little bits of chords played, mm-hmm. and they're not played like in unison. I, I don't remember the exact musical term, but they're not like arpeggiated, and they're not played in unison. But they're kind of like you just kind of splash across the notes, like you like you're strumming a guitar almost. You know, mm-hmm. you don't hear everything at the same time. It almost feels like the music's like splashing over you, like it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it's a sonic shower. <laughs> the waking up and stuff is interesting. It's like very peaceful. It's like a morning vibe. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It really grabs your attention, but it's not like dissonant. It's not like a you know, mm-hmm. a noise or a strone album or anything. But like it was certainly a change of pace from say, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think the thing is you might think, well, this quick looping structure of a song, like, here's a 30 second loop we're gonna play like four times and change it up each time a little bit, but like that's the song. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because like once you start listening, you really just, you know, start, you know, vibing with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's part of the lo-fi hip hop aesthetic in it is the, is the idea of the loop, like making a song to an anime looping gif, which is really <laughs> focusing about like a brief moment in time, a momentary mood briefly suspended in time by music. Like that's sort of like, that is what lo-fi is trying to capture. This is an idea I've seen in like Japanese cinema too. Like I was actually thinking uh, it reminded me of a movie called afterlife, a movie about a hotel for people who have died and like, this is where their spirit goes. And there's staff at this hotel and the staff helps each person find a moment in their lives. And then they film this moment. They recreate that moment. And then that's where that person will spend all of eternity. Like that's Mm -hmm. their afterlife. And the whole thing is about finding that one moment. And so it's almost like finding your perfect anime looping gif (laughs) in a kind of reductive (laughs) way. But like, I would like to imagine this is the kind of album they would play in the lobby. It's funny because my first thought was that like terrible Liam Neeson movie where he like runs a funeral home with Christina Ricci. <laughs> I've not seen that movie. Are they also dead? Is it also about the afterlife? <laughs> Don't remember. It's remembered existing. <laughs> wow. Your sounds way better and more interesting. It's quite moving. You know, it's it's one of those movies. It's not a tragedy, but you feel like uh, all the emotions watching it. Mm-hmm. So. It's one of those movies I want to rewatch, but I'm not I'm not ready to rewatch it yet. You know, <laughs> there is one more sample I do like, which is from Back Again. I just like this because I just like the song. Uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, we have a, a lot of overlap on tracks we liked. I really liked this track too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love that little vocal sample. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. so, just like floats above everything else. And mm-hmm. like, it's just really good. I, I can't, I'm trying to think of like why it's really good. It's not like from something I know. Doesn't mm-hmm. sound like anything I know. It is sampled, I believe. Sure. Back again is from Tear It Down by Blue Magic. 1974 at least that's the sample from it 
Um, I did find an interesting discussion of sampling in lo-fi on a subreddit uh, about lo-fi hip hop. So take, you know, grain of salt, obviously. But it's like, yeah, artists don't clear their samples. They just figure if they get caught, it's easier to deal pay lawyers than to <laughs> try and get it pre-cleared. Because most of the time you don't get caught. Maybe that's also one of the other reasons why the lo-fi of lo-fi hip hop is so important because the more you distort it, the less likely <laughs> automated algorithms will be able to detect your your infringement. Yeah, so. I don't blame them. Just as another aside, like getting cleared for sampling or using stuff mm-hmm. is such a nightmare. I remember when uh, Philosophy Tube, she wanted to use, I think, David Bowie's Black Star in mm-hmm. her, her trans video. Like, it's a beautiful video. And I'm glad that she got the approval, but it took her like months because she was just emailing Sony of like, I would like to give you money and you let me play one minute of this song. How do we make that happen? And they were like, well, talk to this person. Well, talk to this person. It just like, they just shuffled her around for like yeah. months. And she was just like, look, I'll just, I'll, I'll wire you the money. Like, just tell me, <laughs> just say I can use your goddamn song, please. Jesus. It's a whole ordeal. So I don't blame anybody. It would slow down your production so much if you just wanted to go back and, and deal with some archaic record yeah. company to use mm-hmm. some 70s horn sample that very few people probably remember unless it was really popular yeah it's just a, yeah. a nightmare and as we discussed most of the, the idea of using one of these things as a sample is that no one will recognize it like that's the sort of point uh, of the art form mm-hmm. uh, is to disguise it and uh, to sort of transmute it into a new type of music so yeah uh, it's worth listening to yeah. uh, absolutely let's move on vibe is the first minute of the first track of our second album today neon impasse by city girl from 2018 so not quite as new as your album a little bit about the artist because there's actually a fair amount about city girl i was able to find a a good number of interviews which is rare for artists on this podcast (laughs) but still still anonymous the city girl is an anonymous los angeles-based producer they've been doing lo-fi music for a while city girl is this character who's sort of visual was a collaboration between the musician and the artist Vicky or Vicky Sai, which we'll link to in the uh, show notes. And they created this character, City Girl, who is in all of the like liner notes, track titles, album titles, art, et cetera, is just constantly referenced. And mm-hmm. uh, in the interview, they described that character as their vessel for creativity and storytelling, which we'll get into, but I think you really feel that in this album compared to what we just listened to really not like a a standard beat tape i also want to talk about city girls aesthetic the visuals i'm just kind of going through this real quick otherwise i would just spend far too long talking about this because i think they're really interesting as an artist after reading more about them but the visual Mm -hmm. style of these albums which is why i picked it just again album cover loved it oh sure it's all done by this artist vicky sai who just does this like 
amazingly distinctive style of like just the women vibing in pastel cityscapes or like fantasy <laughs> landscapes. Mm -hmm. And they all just look great. Like I was just scrolling through her Twitter and just everything is, is killer. It's all just beautiful eye for color. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah, like a, a, another one of their albums, Siren of the Formless, is an homage to Ophelia dying in the painting about Ophelia dead in the river uh, from Hamlet. Um, mm. Yeah, no, I quite like it. It's very, like, yeah, kind of a cross between painterly and cartoon, like a bit anime-ish, but like mm -hmm. in a painterly way, I dig the style as well. The other thing I thought was really interesting is that the character's name comes from the track City Girl by Kevin Shields, which was on the Lost in Translation soundtrack. Hmm. And Kevin Shields is like super influential because he's the like one of the founding members and leaders of, of My Bloody Valentine, who really popularized shoegaze, which is like another really lonely genre of music, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And combined with Lost in Translation, which is not something I would have thought of for like lo-fi influence, but makes sense as it's very also this very lost kind of melancholy movie about people very confused at their being at very different places in their life, but still both confused about what's going to happen and stuff. So I thought that was like a really interesting source of a citation that would not, I would not have thought of for this genre, but made total sense as soon as I read it in the interview. Yeah. I could totally see that. Like, yeah, I'd be interested at some point. I've listened to her nearest album, Sea Girl, which is actually a lot of pop, like, like music with like, like lyrics and singing, not just instrumental. Um, mm -hmm. So at some point we should look at that, but um, uh, Neon Impasse, it is a very different vibe than Ginseng in a lot of ways than Transition, mm -hmm. because one thing, there's no sampling, and I feel it's more, just overall more upbeat, like, and maybe it's because it's not, doesn't have that 70s sort of like nostalgia for bygone era and nostalgia for, you know, you know, less popular music, but also I feel kind of like a sense of a Studio Ghibli you know, especially like <laughs> Studio Ghibli movies have this very piano music that's very iconic in a lot of scenes mm -hmm. and a lot of lo-fi draws from that. And I feel like this album does as well. And then the synths, the synths are really, I think the word for me is quirky. <laughs> uh, like they just kind of, they wander in, they do some really weird, interesting things. They kind of wander out <laughs> just like a cat. You're not sure who actually owns the cat. It just kind of shows up at your house every once in a while. You're like, hello. And then it's gone. So yeah, just kind of wandering in and out. It's really, really, really cool. I really like that. Yeah. I think that sort of quirkiness kind of speaks to their production method. So slight correction. It's, I don't think there's no samples on this album because they said in interviews that they'll use samples for stuff like drums or like interesting background noises. So it's maybe a uh, little okay. more like field recording-y at times. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. But not sampling from like albums. Right. Not like grabbing a horn piece from mm -hmm. some old jazz, at least not obviously. Some of the saxophone and stuff might be just if they don't have mm -hmm. access to recording a saxophone or don't want to do it as a virtual instrument. But anyway, they said that they, they really just kind of fire up their keyboard or their guitar and just kind of jam until they find something they think is interesting. And then mm. like you kind of grow that out into a song. So I think probably their personality and how they're feeling at that time really comes through a lot more mm -hmm. in that playing. I, I think it's as much as we deal with like a lot of electronic music and stuff. I, I do think, I don't know, it's probably some, some bias or something, but I do think when you have like that person playing, there's just something there that's mm -hmm. a little different because stuff is not perfect in the same way. 
and you sure you'd notice it even if you don't notice it yeah i mean pretty much i wouldn't say all art but most art is personal to some degree the artist cannot help but put something of themselves in whatever art they make Mm -hmm. i think this is obviously a a good example of that um, because there's a variety of moods represented in this album yes like you're not whenever you're creating a longer work you're not going to be the same mood the entire time there's going to be great days or bad days or worse days yeah you piece all that together i think in an order that does make sense because i do think there's a bit of like an emotional arc to this album like Mm -hmm. i think the middle few tracks are like far more melancholic and uncertain than Mm -hmm. the the front you know the first third the back third especially like the first few are very upbeat like just beautiful sparkly Mm -hmm. there's like cool chimes cool synths cool guitar that's like dreamy and chill super relaxed and then you kind of have the track neon impasse the title track and towards the back half it just starts to get those chimes which are like airy and 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 upbeat Mm kind of happy sounds against like these low synths are really interesting so i think i'm gonna play a little bit from that So I think this tone shift in the back half of this track really marks where the middle of the album slows down. Like Mm -hmm. I said, there's like more wistful vocal samples. And I say it's Mm -hmm. a sample, but I think it was recorded for the album because there's a featuring credit. Yeah. Collaboration with, with Maru. Um, Yeah. So I assume they're singing, but it's just like that vocal sample is like really atypical and stands out. Doesn't sound like the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. It's like really lo-fi, like kind of that AM radio-y effect. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Also on track six, the one you sampled, I do like the little reverb towards the end. Mm-hmm. And I, I do th- see that as like the progression of a night from, you know, evening into the, the darkest part of the night all the way back to sunrise. Maybe is one way to look at it. Uh, that kind of dip in the middle uh, in mood. But yeah, I, uh, I yeah, the Maru definitely... It's an interesting way of doing a vocal, like the radio is on in the other room. It's very distant and distorted a bit, but mm-hmm. you can, I mean, you can make it out, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, um, it's like distant thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. like kind of swirling around in the back of your head that sort of persists through. And then there's the two tracks, the light of egress, which is probably aptly named and, uh, slipping into Ashfield <laughs> streets. They, they like, you're waking up out of that. Mm-hmm. Like they, they sort of the opposite of neon impasse where they end a little more upbeat, a little more hopeful kind of than yeah. they started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the back half, the back few tracks of this album are great. You, you hit this track palette, which is immediately like upbeat as jazz, like much more active oh, yeah. drums. And mm-hmm. there's like saxophone working. It's yeah, just like late night sax. jams. It's like, you kind of have mm-hmm. like a bad ha- late half of the afternoon and, <laughs> and you, you come out and you're just ready to party, go down to the jazz yeah. club and, and party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one of the earlier tracks, track four, that I really like. These little, I don't know how to describe them, these kind of like fluttering little like string stabs, these little kind of, mm-hmm. I, I really like that. 
Tender Stare is the track. I love that track too because it has mm-hmm. all that awesome string stuff you just described and then like halfway through passes it off to synths and other instruments. But it's not like a harsh transition. It just is cool. It's just so smooth. Nothing in this album is harsh. Mm-mm. It's chill vibes all the way through. Uh, yeah. In that regard, anyway, in terms of, of harsh changes mm-hmm. to the beat, you know, we're definitely not in dark ambient territory of sneaking, <laughs> you know, starting to sneak on weird. Yeah, but there is kind of this, I wouldn't say commonality with ambient music, where there is this kind of layering and texture of the mm-hmm. sound, because City Girl really does like building up like multiple synth elements to create a very rich sound in parts, you know, just bringing the synths in and out of different, you know, like almost like these sweeps. Mm-hmm. bells or chimes and like um you know i also like really like on track seven too there's these little bits of horn and a flute and that deep <laughs> uh bass and like it had yeah, very smooth yeah speaking to that i think that overall is describes the production of this album which is like it's much more lush and i don't want to say like maximalist but mm-hmm. it has a lot of a lot of more obvious layering of mm-hmm. instruments and stuff working together compared to ginseng. Like the layering in the ginseng album is very subtle and like part of the mood and supporting the beats. And I do think this album is more of a storytelling. And I think that's the goal with a lot of these is putting yourself in the character city girl's headspace and like just seeing yeah. what she's doing. And I think this album captures, captures that really well. Yeah. I like that. I think this sort of exemplifies the best of low five because there's, it's, not going to jump out and distract you from work, but like if you actually listen to it, it's it's rewarding because you pick up mm-hmm. on subtleties that you're not going to be noticing if you're, you know, like most of us when we're listening to lo-fi doing something else, you know. Um, so, yeah, it kind of it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's true of, of both these albums in a way. Like, mm-hmm. I think this album really, really, really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. But just in general, it was so much more interesting and rewarding to hear this music as cohesive albums, which Mm -hmm. I I mentioned at the beginning in the intro, but now that, you know, we've talked about the albums and listened to it, I think that's the thing that stood out to me the most is if these were single tracks, you just don't get the, that range of vibes, the range of jams. So the genre is, it's just so much more interesting to me. It's so much more connected and for both of them, I really just want to listen to both their whole discographies now. Mm-hmm. I have listened to Solitude from uh, Ginseng, mm-hmm. and it's a really good album. And it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's sadder, but more melancholy. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, more wistful, more gazing into the distance, <laughs> like thinking about your life kind of album, uh, <laughs> which is quite nice. And um, I think another thing is when you're putting it on a stream, you'll have like a really top tier song, like maybe from Jinseng or uh, Neon Impasse from, you know, this album. Um, mm. And then it'll swap to like, not as good of a lo-fi song, but the kind of song that like people make fun of lo-fi for, for being very formulaic and cliche. And that kind of like disrupts it. So it, it, listening to full albums, Hey, what an idea. Uh, <laughs> Artists exist for a reason. consume what they want consume as it was intended to be made (laughs) like I think that's always going to be the most rewarding experience
thanks for listening. This was a fun sojourn into the into the lands of lo-fi, learning about it. But we're not done quite yet with lo-fi, because in our next episode, we're going to be exploring Toonami, which is, of course, probably a generational touchstone for many of us, and certainly highly influential in the rise of lo-fi uh, and the, its aesthetic. And we're going to be having a guest, Noah, who is on the podcast Thinking Too Much About Anime and has been featured on RPPR and the Mix 6. And he's just a podcast Ronin at this point. <laughs> yeah, so. Noah's a good guy. And it was inspired to be a guest because he also streams. We'll get all the shout outs next episode where you can connect mm-hmm. with him. He was just talking about our lo-fi episode because it had just dropped. And he was just rattling all this shit off the top of his head about Tadami <laughs> and music and artists and, and other stuff. I was like, oh, we got to get this guy on. Uh, this is yeah. so much easier than me researching it <laughs> is to just let somebody else come on who knows their shit yeah. and just talk to me about mm-hmm. it. And then I get to learn. Yeah. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. to uh, to get him on here. Yeah. Tsunami. Yeah. And, I, and again, I, I did uh, watch quite a bit of Tsunami back in the day. So it's. Oh, nostalgia, that, that drug I need so much. Um, so um, <laughs> don't forget to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Radio. And of course, we'll have links in the show notes. We have a Discord. We have multiple bonus episodes now for our, our subscribers. And of course, they help make this podcast possible. So if you like the show, just even if you just sign up for a month or two, it means the world to us. Thank you so much. And of course, if you want to talk to us, uh, you can at us on Twitter at at Night Clerk Radio for our show, or me at Ross Payton on Twitter, or Burke is available <laughs> at, at Burke McBurkinson. We also have a Facebook page and uh, we have a website, nightclerkradio.com. Tell your friends, tell your family, review and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to. But uh, stay out there. Don't get too stressed out and you're in your hustle and grind. Just chill out and listen to some love. Fun. 